Well, we've been talking over the last several weeks on following Jesus. What does that mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we've looked at all kinds of different topics that relate to following Jesus if we claim to be a child of Christ. And uh, I know that from time to time, God uses various circumstances in my life to show me that there's some things that I still need to work on, some things that I haven't figured out, some things that I still need to uh, improve in. And uh, so the title of the message this morning is, Can't We All Just Get Along? Can't We All Just Get Along? Or How to Handle Offenses. We're not going to finish the message this week, I promise you. We're going to do half of it this week and half of it next week. But the idea is this. I have bragged on our church over and over in the past couple years regarding what I and maybe others perceive as unity and peace. I have bragged on our church for that. Relatively speaking, I do believe that we are experiencing far better unity than many, many other churches that I know of. And I appreciate that. But the question, though, is not, are we better than other churches? That's the incorrect question. The question is, undoubtedly, are we the church that God wants us to be in terms of peace and unity? Not are we doing better than the church down the road, or are we a little bit better shaped than this church over here? And not can we relatively say, walking into church, well, I don't see anybody fighting. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I had a friend who told me there was a fist fight out in the parking lot of their church. And I thought to myself, goodness, I'm glad I don't have that going on. Relatively speaking, yes, we are grateful to God that we have peace and unity. But that's not really the right question. The question is, are we the church that God wants us to be? It's one thing to be better or to have more peace and unity than other churches, but that reality really doesn't matter. In light of eternity, it doesn't really matter that we may have more peace, more unity than that church down the road. It really doesn't matter. And furthermore, it's quite another thing to be the church God wants us to be in terms of loving and having unity with one another because of genuine love. So furthermore, it's one thing to have peace and unity because you genuinely love one another, though you may have differing opinions, versus having peace and unity as a result of avoiding one another or someone in particular. You see the difference? You see, I can really genuinely love someone, and God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love thinks no evil. In fact, when something happens that I don't agree with, or somebody says something that I don't particularly understand, my first opinion is, They didn't do this on purpose. Because love thinks no evil. Or I can, on the other side, kind of create a false sense of peace and unity by just not not having conversation with that person. They kind of irritate me. They kind of rub me the wrong way. So I don't want to rock the boat, so I'm just going to kind of avoid them. And therefore, I get the same sense of peace and unity and love. But we all know that's not real. Right? You see the difference? One is a result of, I truly love them. The other one is a result of, I just ignore them, avoid them, don't get in conversations with them so I don't have to deal with it. Big difference between the two. One is real, one is false. For example, I used to help out with, fill in the blank, until so-and-so started to do it and took over and made everyone else do it their way. It irritated you, so you now withdraw and avoid them. Hence, there is a peace or unity, but it's not because of genuine love. It's because I just don't want to deal with them. Right? 
Or, why does so-and-so think that they have the authority to fill in the blank? I mean, who died and put them in charge? We were doing just fine without them before they butted in. It irritated you, so therefore we just ignore. Try to create the peace. Try not to rock the boat. So we have this fake sense of peace and unity. Not caused by genuine love, but just by avoidance. So I ask again, do you see the difference? Wow, it's getting really quiet in here. <laughs> it's like, what is he going about to say? Let me just say two hands and a foot. I'm guilty at times. My wife is getting long binocular eyes on me. Careful. <laughs> but it often appears that things are going well at church. And I love that sense. When folks come into our church, I really love the sense that, man, they think that things are really good, that God is resting here. I truly, genuinely want that. I hope you do too. But the reality is that things may not always be as they appear. You might be wondering what the big deal is. Well, here's the big deal. When there's unresolved conflict in the church, and we as the church choose to not deal with it, in other words, someone has really, really irritated me, so I just don't want to rock the boat. I'm just going to ignore it and pretend it's not there. Guess what? It doesn't go away. And let me just say this. If you like confrontation, there's something messed up in your brain. Just saying. None of us enjoy confrontation. If you do, you're just a little odd. But without confrontation, we don't move forward. And there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. We'll talk about that next week. But when there is unresolved conflict in the church, and we as a church choose not to deal with it, God's hand of blessing may be removed from us. I want God's blessing on our church, right? Anybody else want that? I want that. So therefore, we must deal with things from time to time. Not avoid them, not sweep them under the carpet, not pretend they don't exist because they do. Say, Pastor, is there a big thing going on that I don't know about? No, thankfully. But there are things that rise. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So several weeks ago, I reminded all of us, myself included, what a church is. A church is, among other things, a local body or family of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have been baptized and have united, united to carry out God's purposes and will, both personally and corporately. So the church is really not about you and I, is it? Never has been, never will be. Just news alert. It's not about me. You see, there are a lot of churches across America who have quote-unquote owners. They've been here longer than anyone else, so they get to make the decisions. This person, well, they, pro, they, they paid the funds for this, so they get to dictate how we do this. I had, I've had people come up to me in the past and say, Pastor, I'll pay for this if you do this. And I've looked right at them and said, no, I don't want your money. I will not be dictated by someone who gives a gift. I will not do it. In fact, I had somebody once offer us $10,000, and because it was so a friend of a so-and-so who gave it, they thought that they should dictate what happens with it. And I walked in there, and I said, if you don't t- deal with this right now, I'm going to rip the check up in 1,000 pieces. I was scared to death when I walked out of there. I wanted the 10000 We needed it. But I wanted the peace and unity more. And I looked right at him and said, I don't need your money. 
church is a family, united to carry out God's will and purposes. So I said a church is not, several weeks ago. It's not a building to go to, although I love having a building. It's a meeting place. It facilitates the church. This is not the church. It's a building that facilitates the church, right? The church gathers inside the building. This is not the church. This is a building. And don't get me wrong, I love having a building. It's better than renting one somewhere. I'm thankful that God has provided it. I'm thankful that we have a place to come to. I'm glad we're not meeting under a tree somewhere. I'm thankful to God for a building. But it's just a building. And trust me, I love having furniture out there and the walls painted and a place that's comfortable to sit out there and pray or to gather with friends and fellowship or to just meet together and talk about life over coffee. I had to get that in there. It's just a building. It's not a social club or a country club. It's a family. It's not a business. It's not a museum of historical record of the past. If our best days are behind us, God help us. I hope that we're still looking forward to what God's going to do in the days ahead. And I hope our best days are ahead of us. But to so many, as we've been in church for years, it becomes a historical record of what God used to do or what God once did. Lord, help us not to live in the past. And can I say, it's not a democracy, as I said a couple weeks ago. I say not a democracy because a democracy, by definition, is a form of government in which the supreme power is vested in the people and exercised by them. The church of Jesus Christ is not directed by whatever the popular opinion of the whole happens to be at the time. Too many churches have fallen apart and have gone astray because of that. I can list you several churches who believe that this should be more important than the word, and all of a sudden the church has fallen apart. I can give you list after list of that. It's not about whatever the popular opinion happens to be at the time, whatever the in thing is in church life and culture. We do, however, work and move forward in decision-making endeavors through the best of our ability, having been led by the Holy Spirit and unified by consensus for the good of the whole and the glory of God. Let me say that again. We do work as it comes to decision-making endeavors to the best of our abilities, having been led by the Holy Spirit. That's important. If you haven't prayed about decision, the decision-making process you may be involved in, you've missed the first step. Prayer must be at the center of it. But to the best of our ability, having been led by the Holy Spirit and unified by consensus. So what's that? The majority of us believe that this is what God is asking us to do. The majority of us are saying, this is where we feel God is leading us. The majority are saying, we believe God has his hand on this direction. Now, let me say that. Without a doubt, there may be times that someone or several people may not get what they want in the decision-making process. I hate that. I genuinely hate that. Because I would love to say that in every decision we make, we are all one. 
That we look together and we say we are all in agreement, 100%. Nobody is abstaining, nobody is saying, has a differing of view. We're all just going, we are unanimous, I can't even say that. We are unanimous in our decision, we are together. But that's not reality. It's not the real world we live in. There's always somebody who has a different opinion. opinion. But when a decision is made, once it's made, we're one. Once the decision is made, whether you voted for it or not, when the consensus of the majority says yes, everyone's a yes. Because if you're not, you'll cause discord. I've seen that over and over again in churches, and I hear stories how one person didn't get their way and they just made it miserable for everyone else in the church because they felt that they had the right. They felt that they were correct. And everyone else is miserable, but bless God, they're not going to change. But once the decision is made, let me just tell you a story in my first church. With the $10,000, so-and-so gave the money. He didn't go to our church. But another man was related to that man. It came through him. And because it was his relative that gave the $10,000, he thought he should have the say in what we do with it. And because so-and-so over here thought that they were involved in that area of ministry that it was going to be used for, that they should dictate where the money should go. And then because they were older, there was a third party who said, well, my daughter's going to be in that ministry in a couple years, and I think we need to start looking towards the next generation, and we need to determine where that money goes. And all three of them started choosing sides within the church. And it got ugly in about two weeks because everybody wanted to say where the measly $10,000 would go. And that's when I walked in there and I said, listen, I will rip that check up in a thousand pieces if you don't work it out right this minute. This is ridiculous. And God is not honored with this. And I walked out of the room. Ten minutes later, I said, Pastor, why don't you come back in? Walked in. And the man who did not want to, to spend the $10,000 on this said, why don't you spend it on this and I'll pay the difference personally out of my pocket. Even though it wasn't his opinion, even though it wasn't his choice, once a decision is made, we're one. We may not all get what we want, but once a decision is made, we're one. That's the only way God can work. And when we choose to make it about what we want, but what we think is best, shame on us. The church of Jesus Christ ought to be the most beautiful picture of God's love known to man. Do you believe that? The church ought to be the most beautiful picture of God's love. Why? Because the church, by definition, is united to carry out God's purposes, both personally and corporately, and once again, for the good of the whole and for the glory of God doesn't matter if this one decision is good for you how does it affect everyone is it good for everyone and does it glorify god you see in other words it's not about say the words me it's not about me and i can tell you over the years there's been a lot of things i didn't want so-and-so to do because they don't know how to do it because i'm really good at that or at least i thought Pick an example, painting. Are you a nitpicky perfectionist? 
If you are, as a painter, a nitpicky perfectionist, and someone else who is not volunteers to paint, you cringe inside. <laughs> because wood should not have paint on it. Ceiling should not have wall paint on them. And so-and-so has just volunteered to paint the room. Would you like paint? Or, I mean, would you like tape? Lots of tape? <laughs> but over the years, God has just worked in my life. You can talk to my wife about this and just say, you know what? I can't do it all. And neither can you. It takes all of us doing what God wants us to do in unity to get things done. So you may not like how so-and-so does it, but guess what? They're doing it. And they're getting it done. So you say, thank you, God. So it's the problem. When we choose to make the church or its meeting place what I want it to be rather than what God wants it to be, I take the risk of sidestepping what may be the good of the whole and for the glory of God. I have to be careful with that. Well, how can this happen in the body of Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. James chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to be all over the place this morning, so I apologize in advance. But James chapter 4, verse 1 says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? I don't know about you. I don't know about some of you. But for some of us, we're pretty passionate people. We have an opinion, right, wrong, or otherwise. We have an opinion, and we're passionate about it, right? We think things should be done a certain way. We're passionate about what we want, what we like, and how we want to do it. So we often think, how come so-and-so got to choose the color of the fellowship hall when it got painted? I mean, who gave them the right to pick the colors? I didn't get a choice in that. How come so-and-so got to pick up the style of furniture that we've got, and how come they got to choose where we bought it from? And by the way, no one has argued about any of those things. Just so you know. I'm just throwing out an illustration example. Nobody has questioned those things. Just so you know. Nobody's complained about it. However, the flesh can get in the way of unity and peace if we're not careful. And let me just say, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, we're not going to take the time to go there, says that every day we have a choice. We can live selfishly in the flesh, or we're going to be led by the Spirit. It's a daily choice. Romans 8, 5 says that they that mind the things of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. I've explained this over and over. If you are living in the flesh, it's because you've chosen to do so. If you are being led by the Spirit, that too is a choice. So there's a choice daily to walk by the Spirit or carry out the desires of the flesh. And Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says, Do not obey the flesh. Don't obey it. You have a choice in the matter, he says. Don't obey it. So what these and other verses point out is that we are here for one another in the body of Christ. We're here to, to do what God wants us to do. And this is where the one another's come into play here. And this is where I'm going to concentrate this week on the one another's. Then next week we're going to deal with what happens when there is frustration. What happens when there is disagreement. We're going to look at that next week. So for this morning, I'm going to be jumping around. And if you can't keep up, that's okay. 
They'll be on the screen, and as I am reminded often, I speak fast, but as Johnny Hunt says, can you imagine how long we'd be here if I didn't? So um, we're going to be booking through this. So first of all, and this was mentioned a little bit Sunday afternoon last week, love one another. Love one another. Eight times in Scripture, God reminds us to love one another. Why did he say it over and over and over again? Why do you tell your kids to pick up their room 17 times? Because one doesn't quite do it. And we need the constant reminder to keep doing what we've been commanded to do. And we often say, don't tell me, show me. Don't say you're going to do it, do it. He says, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, about brotherly love, you don't need to write to me, write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Are you loving one another? 1 Peter 1, 22, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart of love. One another constantly. Is our love genuine or is it fake? You and God know that answer. 1 Peter 4 8, above all, maintain constant love. What's, what's that word constant mean? All the time. Not just when it's convenient, not just when it feels right, not just when things are going well. He says, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers what? A multitude of sins. That gets back to 1 Corinthians 13. Love thinks no evil. When somebody does something that irritates me, I know they didn't do it on purpose. And I'm going to choose to believe that this was an oversight. It's a miscommunication. That's hard for some of us. They did it on purpose, the jerks. Don't tell me you don't think that way sometimes. Or, they're so selfish. They always do it the way they want to do it. And we immediately get irritated. Well, maybe you don't. I do. 1 John three eleven and 23. We should love one another. Now this is a command that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He has what? Commanded us. So as believers, it's not really a choice in the matter. Well, it is a choice whether you're going to be obedient or not. But the choice is to be obedient and to love. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let love be without... Oh, wait a minute. What's that word? Say it out loud. Hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, Hey, how's it going? It's so good to see you today. And in your mind you're thinking... <laughs> Yeah, okay. You really don't want to see them. really don't want to spend time with them. You really don't want to give them that hug. You don't really want to shake their hand. That's hypocrisy. In other words, be genuine. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another. What's the word? Deeply. Isn't that amazing? Love one another deeply in the body of Christ. As brothers and sisters, do you love one another as your own brother or sister? That's what he's asking here. Outdo one another in showing honor. What's the word honor mean? To attribute value to. 
What they say, what they do is valuable. Hebrews 10.24 And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. <laughs> We're good at provoking, but it's not always the love and good works. This is watch out for one another. Do we keep an eye out for each other in the body of Christ? And let me just say this once again. I look at some of these things, I say, man, we're doing better than the average. Wonderful. But that's not the real question. The question is, are we the church that God wants us to be? Can we improve in some of these areas? Can we do a better job in some of these areas? He goes on, number two, not only to love one another, but number two, honor one another. Just mention that word honor. The word honor means to attribute value to something. People keep asking me about the gold pen. It's been replaced by the purple Viking pen. I've attributed a value to it. If you want it, it's going to cost you this much money. You say, well, it's not worth that. That's okay. It's the value that I've attributed to it. The word honor means to attribute value to. Do we value one another? And that's where he says in Romans 12.10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. Genuine love for one another. Number three, agree with or instructing one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Live in harmony. Now, does living in harmony mean that you just disregard other people's sinfulness towards you? No. But it means that I need to be responsible for what God has called me to be responsible for and how I respond. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7 and 14, it says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. He says, As you come together, you have to be one. That's harmony, that's unity, that's peacefulness coming together. It says, my brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Why? Because they were together, the other person wasn't upset because the other person tried to help them. Wait a minute, I don't need your help, I know what I'm doing, I got this, leave me alone, I got this. Well, if, if you would just, you know, if, if you do it this way, it will be better. Well, I know that's how you do it, but I do it this way. Anybody have a particular way of doing things? Come on now. We get in a rut and we do things the way we do them and we don't like people telling us how to do them. But when we're all together working towards the same goal, we have one mind. You don't mind someone saying, hey, let me show you a shortcut that you get you to the same place and there's an easier way of doing it. More gets accomplished in quicker time if we're willing to humble ourselves. Number four, lift each other up or build up one another. In Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 19, it says, Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Ouch. Let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. 
I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy but what you eat, someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. Are we careful to build each other up by our actions? Of course, the context of Romans 14, the meat that is offered to idols. Verse 19 says, So then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. You see, all my life I've been told to be careful not to offend anyone. All my life I've been taught that. Is that a bad thing? No, not necessarily. But I like the Old Testament verse says, the great peace of love thy law, nothing shall offend them. They don't like my eating steak that's offered to their own. Too bad. It tastes great with A1. It's their problem. Let them deal with it. Great peace of they was love thy law, and nothing shall. If you are really mature, this won't even bother you. Can have that side, and many of us do. But what does God say? Pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another, verse 19. So, really, it comes down to this fact it's not about. Man, it's quiet in here this morning. Woo! I just want you to know God got me first. It's not about me. Number five, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together, welcome one another. Or in some of your translations, it may say, wait on one another. Come together, we're to welcome one another. We're to wait on another. Why? Fellowship? Encouragement? Not being selfish, but being selfless? Context is the Lord's table. But as they came together, he says, wait on one another. Don't be a pig. Don't just hurry up. Don't just get your way first. Wait. Slow down. Be patient. And I think that practically applies in a lot of different areas. We don't really talk about that. But when we're waiting on one another, it means I'm not going to be impatient with them. I'm going to be patient. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me sometimes. Anyone else struggle with that? Patience builds or gives what? I don't want more patience. <laughs> I don't want no more trials to give me more patience. I just kind of want to deal with what I got on my plate right now. God say, no, wait a minute. You need more patience. You need this. Number six, bear one another's burdens. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. When's the last time, and I just want you to be honest because you and God know the answer. When's the last time you looked beyond the end of your nose to help someone else with their struggles? Just being honest. God knows I'm so busy. I mean, I got my kids, I got my job, I got my spouse, I got my house. I got to do these yard work, I got to do this, I got to do that. Got to... That's everybody. When's the last time you look beyond your own nose to see who else is struggling and who you can help? 
Say, Pastor, is our church really that bad? No, I'm saying as a general rule, all of us need these reminders. All of us do. Are we willing to bear one another's burdens or are we just so consumed with our own self that we don't invest in others? I, I have to look at the life of Christ in the Gospels and over and over he was about other people. I don't read the story in anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus built a mansion for himself. I don't read where he lined his driveway with precious stones. I don't read anywhere in the Gospels about Jesus you know, getting a nice bank account somewhere. His entire life was about emptying himself and investing in others. And we all go through chapters and phases where one chapter or phase is difficult, more difficult than another. But generally speaking, do we care about, care about other people's burdens? Enough to do something about it. I think we said the other night that compassion without action is just empathy. Say, oh, I have some compassion on people around me. If your compassion doesn't choose, doesn't involve action, it's not compassion. Compassion without action is just empathy. And empathy accomplishes nothing. Number seven. Bear with or tolerate one another. You mean God's word actually says that? So you're supposed to tolerate one another? Yes. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also are you to forgive. We're to tolerate and forgive and, to for, and bear with one another. Man, they don't take me off. I'm, I'm just going to avoid them. And what have you accomplished? You become really good at building walls. I mean, you slick the mortar on, build a brick, put another layer of cement on it, you're good. And it accomplishes what? Nothing. And then right in from bearing with another and forgiving one another is number eight, forgiving one another. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Are we willing to forgive those who irritate us and sin against us. Number nine, submit to one another. Ouch. Ephesians 5, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Well, I got my way of doing things, he's got their way of doing things, and never the two shall meet. Really? Because that's Christ-like. Not. Submitting to one another. I gotta have my way. I gotta do it my way. That's not Christ likeness. First Peter five five, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. So he says, even though the younger are to be submissive to the older, we're all to be humble towards each other. Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Are we willing to submit to one another? I don't have to have my way. We don't have to do this my way. We don't have to choose my color. You have to get my brand. Number 10. 
Admonish one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What does it mean to admonish? Encourage towards correction. Helping one another grow. See, admonishing one another takes some guts. Yeah, it does. It means you've got to be doing what's right before you can help someone else do what's right. And number 11, encourage one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, and chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. He says, You're doing it. Keep it. Keep at it. James 4.11 don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges... I tell you what, this is the one that just like... It's like the knife comes out, and all of a sudden, you know, my fidget spinner, it comes out, and you're like... And then it's like, Holy Spirit's like... Come on now. Let's be honest. Read the verse. Don't criticize one another. I am guilty, folks. Say, so, well, you're the preacher. Yeah, and you're sinful too. I know my flesh. And I agree with the Apostle Paul says, I am the chiefest among sinners. How God would choose to use any of us is beyond my understanding. Don't criticize one another. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And then chapter 5, verse 9 says, Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another. I was reading that, and I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, that knife just got a little bit deeper and a little bit twisted. It's like, ah, oh, I need to shut my mouth sometimes. Maybe you do too. I'm not judging you, I'm just judging myself. <laughs> so here's where we're at. As we consider each of these commands directed towards one another, a couple questions come to my mind, and here they are. Number one, are these commands selfishly motivated or selflessly motivated? You see, if I'm selfish, I won't do them. Because life is about me, and what's important to me, and what I think I need to do, and how I think people need to respond to what I say. That's selfishness. But the commands can only be observed and followed and obeyed if we're living selflessly. And the second question is this. Are these commands accomplished by being controlled by the flesh or being controlled by the Holy Spirit? You see, the only way I can follow them correctly is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's another whole subject. We talked about that back in week one of this series. Letting God lead you and guide you. And you know what that takes? Complete surrender. You have to give up to go forward. You have to give up your rights. You have to give up what you think is best. You have to give up your desire to say, God, I'll follow and follow yours. We hate surrender. Surrender has such a negative connotation to many of us. I'm not going to surrender. I'm going to win. 
And by it we accomplish nothing for the cause of Christ. And how do we deal with fellow believers in the body of Christ when we don't agree with them and we don't appreciate the decisions they make? How do we handle those matters? Well, that's next week. Because it happens in the body of Christ. Someone does something, says something, makes a decision that you don't appreciate, you don't like, you don't care for. How do you deal with it? You see, we can have genuine love that produces genuine peace and unity. Or we can avoid them at any cost so that we don't rock the boat. But what it creates is a false sense of peace that really hasn't been dealt with. So how do you deal with that? How do I deal with someone who just irritates you? Somebody who just doesn't think the way you think? Somebody who does everything different than what you like? Not how you want it done. Next week. But for now, I'll close with this. You and I have the privilege of dealing with ourselves. You see, I can't and won't stand before God for what you do. You will. I won't stand before God for your decisions day in and day out. I stand before God for what I do. I can't control what others may do or not do. But scripturally, I have to control how I respond to it. You've heard that a thousand times in your lifetime. But that's where the rubber meets the road. How am I going to choose to respond to what so-and-so did that I don't like? Well, they offended me. They ticked me off. And your point is... Because that's how I think sometimes when it doesn't involve me. When it involves me, it's a different subject. Now it's personal. How do we deal with it? Do they really sin or is it just that you're irritated? Good questions. But the privilege that you and I have is that we get to deal with ourselves. I can't deal with God for what you do nor can you deal with God for what I do on a daily basis. I am completely responsible to God for all my actions and reactions and how I choose to respond to the circumstances around me. I will give an account for that. And I know that in my life, and maybe you agree in your life, that when I'm focused on myself, I'm not focused on the one another's in the body. It's an inward focus versus an outward focus. It's a horizontal versus vertical focus. I think we need to get our eyes back on Jesus. Get to the place where we're once again being filled with the Spirit and being directed by Him. That's the hard part. Let's pray.